Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergera.com. All right, come on, give a warm welcome for Micah. Thank you, everybody, thank you. All right. I don't know if I should be chewing gum, but I'm just going to go for it. Keep chewing the gum. No. Um, wow. So there's something I wasn't sure if I wanted to do, but now that I'm up here, uh, I do want to do it. You know, we just, we were just ministering unto the Lord. We were, we were blessing him. And that's, that's what worship is, giving God what is due for him. We weren't singing about us. You know, sometimes we mention things he's done for us, but we're not singing about ourselves. We're singing to him. Um, so I kind of want to do something similar to that is I want each of us out loud, doesn't have to be too loud, just say three things that are true of God or three things that you appreciate about God, three things that you love about him. Just say it out. And this is stuff we should be doing every day, five, 10, 20, 50 times a day. So on the count of three, if you want to follow what I'm going to say, I'm going to say, you are holy, you are mighty, and you care. Those are the three things that are true about him. You can make up your own. All right, ready? One, two, three. You are holy, you are mighty, and you care. I, I, some people copied me. Some people made their own thing. That was pretty cool. All right, I'm going to talk about identity. The reason I wanted to do that, even though it's weird, is because I don't ever want to get ahead of the Lord. Sorry. Is that chewing in the mic? <laughs> um, yeah, should have spit that out earlier. Um, the reason we do weird things like that, like worship, um, is because we really don't want to get ahead of the Lord in regards to venturing into areas that are available without appreciating who he is and what he's made available beforehand. So we want to proclaim who he is and what's good about him before we go on an adventure, right? Otherwise, we go on that adventure and we pat ourselves on the back. Um, so the title of the sermon is Identity Unto. And the reason I stopped at unto is because you can choose the rest of the name. Because having a proper understanding of your identity is so important that it leads to breakthrough in so many areas. So there's a couple ideas that I had is it can be identity unto revelation, identity unto victory, identity unto intimacy. Those are the three things that knowing my identity um, really helps me with. But if you got a specific word, you can name the title of the sermon, whatever's on your heart. Um, and the reason I, I want to talk about identity is because it's, so, it's just so foundational. And where we're going as a church is we're, we're going to go places where other churches you know, usually don't. And I don't want to ever be caught on an assignment or in a place where a piece of my foundation is missing and I start to shake. You know? So we are well equipped here, but we're still going to go back to the basics a little bit because you'd be surprised how many believers don't really know the basics very well. Um, and before I get going, there's a proverb that I want to talk about where it says, the wise are mightier than the strong, and those with knowledge get stronger and stronger. Yeah. And, and how I think this relates to identity is that in this verse, wisdom is kind of the foundation, 
and knowledge is part of wisdom, which is part of the foundation. When you have a firm foundation, it can be built upon easily, which means you get stronger and stronger. And I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago, we were making a battle plan on how they can overcome sin, overcome addiction. And they were just kind of a little bit all over the place. So I said, picture this, you're a house. And uh, we invite somebody to decorate that house, not to, not to build anything, but to decorate it. That's strictly what they do. If they come up and see the house and they see that it's wobbling and it's not really even a windy day, and this is a big time decorator, you know, they don't want to put their decorations in some house that might collapse. So they look at that house and they say, if there's a storm, this thing's about to fall over. I don't want my work in here. And they walk away. But if they come up to a house and it's so firm it can go through a hurricane, it can go through a blizzard, whatever, and it's still gonna be there, still gonna be the same. That decorator is gonna be like, I can do a lot of things with this house. They're gonna start adding their artwork in there. And I think identity is so foundational that when you have a proper understanding of who you are, that's like being a house that God can look at and say, I can add a lot to this. I can add a lot to this. Um, but in order to understand our identity, it requires that we understand a lot of God and his character. Because your identity is determined by what God says about you and nothing else, right? So you have to find out more about him to find out what he says about you, and then what he says about you determines who you are. So we just need to find out more about the Father. But today I'm mainly gonna dive into what he says about us. So if everybody's taking notes, which is mandatory, by the way, if you're new here. Um, we're going to ask uh, a couple questions, um, and I'd appreciate it if you wrote down the questions and the answers so when you look back in the future, you'll know what you're talking about. Um, and these questions are basic. I kind of ask these to, if I'm ever like leading a Bible study, it's my first day there. I ask these questions because I, I don't want to go too deep into a study with people that I'm not really sure if they're equipped in the essentials. Um, so this is like my first time doing a legit sermon. I figured I'm going to ask these questions, right? You know? So the first one is, are you a saint or are you a sinner? Big one, big one. All right, write that question, write your answer. This next question, I'll give you some more time. There's two ways to answer it. Are you guys ready? I don't want to move ahead of you guys. The next one is, if God were to describe you in three words, what would he say? Or if he were to tell you what he thinks about you, what would he say? Okay, next. <laughs> this next one, simple, are you righteous? A lot of people struggle with that question. It's very interesting. All right, next one. Are you inherently evil? Are you inherently evil? And the last one is pretty similar. You can answer that kind of in conjunction with the, the other one is at your core, are you good or are you bad? That's kind of more like right now at your core, are you good or are you bad? 
feel like I'm a teacher. All right, all right. We're going back to question one. Are you a saint or are you a sinner? Um, this is a question that a lot of experienced Christians kind of answer wrong for the sake of being humble. Um, but I actually think it's uh, not humility, and I think it's more of just a lack of knowledge. Um, it's crazy how I'll be in a circle, I'll be at a Bible study, you can say, how many Christians we got in the room? Everybody will lift their hands. You say, how many saints we got in the room? Maybe two people are like, okay, I'm trying to follow the Lord a lot. I've, I've seen some success, so I'll call myself a saint today. And then, I, and then we go, how many sinners we got in the room? Everybody's, that's me right there, right? It's like, all right, all right, all right. When we are talking identity, identity is who you are, who God says you are. If I ask you that you're a Christian and you can confidently say yes, then I should ask, are you a saint or are you a sinner? And you should confidently say, I'm a saint. You, you can look back at the letters and Paul is writing to some jacked up people. And he says, hey, saints, read the introductions and then get some context on what they were doing. It's pretty messed up stuff. Yeah, right? Right? Come on. So we're talking about identity here and calling yourself a saint. There's like some theology that we got to balance here is calling yourself a saint doesn't give you an excuse to not be sober minded. Right? Because Josh a couple weeks ago came up here and started talking about if you have some sin in your life, you need to ask the Lord to make you conscious of it and you need to come up here and repent. It was great. We had a lot of saints up here repenting, right? We had a lot of saints getting free. So calling yourself a saint doesn't mean that you're not being sober minded and neglecting the reality of sin that may be in your life. It just means you're taking on the identity that God's given you, and that leads to way more freedom than constantly calling yourself a sinner. I promise you. Promise you. This next one, I love this question. If God were to describe you in three words, what would he say? Um, I did something similar to this with one of my friends. I just said, uh, write a letter um, and pretend that it's God writing the letter to you. And, uh, you know, he wrote for five minutes, got done, I read it, and... It was, it was kind of disheartening because he really seemed like God was just mad at him and there was nothing more to it than that. Um, but really, we can go to the Psalms for an answer to this question to see what God thinks of the saints. Um, and, I, and I'll get into more of it later on what God says to us when we're in sin. But when God is speaking to our identity, David has something amazing to say about this. He says, Lord, this is a dude that lived under the old covenant. He said, Lord, how great are your thoughts of me? How great are your thoughts of me? This, this guy has killed a lot of people. He's committed adultery. He killed the lady's husband that he committed adultery with. He had committed so much violence that he wasn't allowed to build the temple that he wanted to build so bad. And yet... When he thinks of God's thoughts for him, he says, Lord, how good are your thoughts about me? And then he takes another step deeper. It says, not only are they good, how vast is the sum of them? They outnumber the sands, grains on the seashore. Essentially, 
infinite. There's, you know, and this is a dude under the old covenant. And yet we have saints calling themselves sinners who think that if they were to go have a one-on-one -on -one session with God for an hour, they would leave the room like this, right? This is a thinking that we got to get out of. David, under the old covenant, was so confident that if he had that one-on-one -on -one session face-to-face -face with God, he would leave out of that room standing taller, walking straighter, probably physically, literally feeling better, and he'd have a smile on his face. Because he's saying to himself, if God were to describe me in three words, he would say, son, I got a lot more than three words. You're going to be blown away at how good they are. How much time do you have? Right? So if some of your answers were, he would tell me to do better. I don't know, maybe you do need to do better. He would tell me, stop sinning. He would say, I remember what you did. He would say, why did you do that yesterday and yet you think you can put your hands up in worship? Um, th these are like answers that Christians write down when I ask these questions. Um, but everything that I just said was an accusation. What's another word for Satan? The accuser, right? So if you really think that you have a one-on-one -on -one session with God, he's going to accuse you of everything, and yet you're a Christian, your thinking lines up more with the accuser than the redeemer. The next question, are you righteous? I love this question. I had a conversation earlier about what it means to be in right standing with God. So this question, we should be, we should be able to answer this question yes, emphatically, as easy as we answer the question, yes, I'm a Christian, and yes, I'm a saint. And that's because what it means to be righteous is it means to be in right standing with God. Right standing with God. But here is where you can look at your answer and you can have a clue as to whether you're caught in works-based faith or not. Because if your righteousness, if your answer is determined by your behavior, that means you're thinking that you're standing right now with God in the heavenlies changes from day to day. And if it changes from day to day, if you think that's the case, then you are caught in a works-based mindset, right? And this is something really interesting, is that once you become a Christian, you are made righteous. Why? Jesus was righteous, right? So you're, you're righteous that day. You're righteous the next day. You're righteous that time you sinned. And then you're righteous today and tomorrow and forevermore, right? Are you still going to be disobedient at times, right? But that doesn't change our right standing with God. But there's, there's this relationship with the Lord where we have to separate two things. We have to separate our intimacy with the Holy Spirit and how that relationship works with our standing regarding righteousness with God. Because when you're walking in the spirit and you step out of line, you can tell that something is different. And the reason it's different is because you're behaving in an unrighteous manner. So yes, behaving in an unrighteous manner affects your relationship with God. How many people in the room know that there's times where you can feel like the Holy Spirit, it's just like he just is like, okay, you're gonna do this, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit down. You're, you're not gonna feel my presence, you're, you're going to feel the fact that I'm not with you right now. It's going to hurt you. D does that mean you're not going to heaven until you turn back to him? 
So we got to separate the idea of your righteous behavior establishes greater intimacy with the Holy Spirit. But your righteous standing with God was firmly established with what Jesus did, right? So the answer, are you righteous? Emphatically, yes. Because we are talking identity. We are talking identity. This last one, I, I love getting into this one. Are you inherently evil? I'm going to answer the last two questions at the same time with a, a verse from Romans, if we can put that up. Are you inherently evil, and at your core, are you good or bad? Um, it's Romans 6, 17 through 18. This is a trick question. You were inherently evil, and at your core, you were the worst of the worst. I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago. We were talking about sin. We were talking just about sanctification and this kind of stuff. And they said something like, uh, it's, it's always a burden, you know, and we'll, we'll never really be that free because we are inherently evil. And I just said, you have a new inheritance, right? You have a new inheritance, right? So let's, let's just get into the ver this verse. Is it? But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Slaves to righteousness. That is so interesting. It says, you have come to obey from your heart. You have come. That means you changed. So it says, you, you used to be a slave to disobedience at your core. Have you ever met somebody who, have you, have you ever heard the, the expression where you go up to somebody and you just say, you just have the best heart. You have the best heart. What you're trying to communicate to that person is you at your core, you're different than other people. It's like deep down in there. You are, you are pure and you are innocent and you just have a kind heart. And because of who you are at your core, it, it affects the way you behave. That's really what you're saying when you go up to somebody and you look them in the eye and say, you just have a kind heart, right? That's essentially a side effect of being a Christian is we should be able to say that to ourselves. It says, but thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves of sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So I used to believe this lie um, for a long time, and I just broke out of it in the last couple of years, is that I, I would accept everything that Jesus offered. When he, he lived, he died, and he rose. I would accept everything that he offered, but I would just feel like it would surround the evil core that I have. So let's say I'm, I'm evil right here, and everything Jesus offers surrounds it, and it's enough to get me into heaven. But with that mindset that I had, it would, it would help me develop new behavior, it would help me become disciplined, and I truly did love God and I was saved. But I didn't have a full revelation of everything he lived and died for, because I would get tempted, I would stop being as disciplined, but everything that God put on the outside of my core was helping me out. But when I finally got the, to the end of all he did, I would give myself a pass to jump into sin because I would really say to myself, it's okay, this is who I really am. And I would hop right into that sin. I would hop right into that sin. 
And I would say, Jesus understands because he died for my sin. But I would tell myself that he didn't die to take away that sin root that is still there. Um, because I think there's a lot of Christians, some of you guys might be thinking like, Micah, what about the sin nature that we all have? I'm telling you that the sin nature is, there still is a sin nature, right? There still is the carnal mind. But when you talk like that sin nature and the carnal mind is who you are at your core and that that is your identity, then anything that Jesus adds onto it cannot be your identity. It can just help you behave better, right? Jesus, Jesus isn't trying to cover up and hide this sin core that you have. He's trying to change who you are by giving you an entirely new inheritance. So your heart used to be like this, bent towards evil. Therefore, when you were obeying God, you're actually being somebody that you're not, right? But when we become a Christian, we are now slaves to obedience, which means that when you're disobeying God, you're being somebody that you're not. How many of us as Christians, Christians that have been having faith for a long time, we, we trick ourselves into thinking that when we're disobedient, it's okay because it's natural and it's who we really are. Who's guilty of that? It's, it's not who we are. If you're a slave to righteousness, then when you're in disobedience, you're being somebody that you're not. You're being a fraud, right? It's so much easier to be who you are than it is to be a fraud. So isn't that refreshing to know that you're a slave to righteousness and being who you are is somebody that follows God? So that was a lie that I lived under for a long time. Um, but it was a pretty easy fix because you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So all I needed was a revelation that I've been set free and then I could live set free. Isn't it crazy? Like you could believe a lie that determines the way you behave for years and years and years. And then somebody will tell you what a Bible verse really means. And then you can walk in freedom. So the last question um, is, is it easier for you to hear the thoughts of the devil or fleshly thoughts, sinful thoughts? Or is it easier for you to hear what the Lord is saying? Compare the two. Which one's easier? So I pretty much answered that question already. It's that if you're living without the revelation that God has given you a new inheritance and that you used to be dead and now you're alive, um, then when the devil plants a seed or when there's temptation that comes, you're going to adopt it so quickly because you've already tricked yourself into thinking that that's a natural thought, right? I know that living in this culture, living a life of a lot of sin before you were saved, even when you are saved, doing community with other Christians that might just be sinning habitually in all kinds of ways, it can be really hard to hear the voice of God. It can. But I also think that a reason why it's so hard for us to hear the voice of God is because we constantly talk about how hard it is to hear the voice of God. <laughs> like, I really think that's a big contributing factor. Um, so we need to get some scripture out we need to start talking to God and we need to start bringing him in on everything. 
But what is really gonna speed up that whole process is realizing that it is actually more natural for you to hear the thoughts of God than it is for you to hear the thoughts of the enemy. It is more natural to hear the thoughts of God. Remember, I, I was up here two months ago for the short shots thing. I said, you have a spirit, a soul, and a body. Your spirit should rule over your soul. Your spirit and the Holy Spirit are like this. Holy Spirit searches the innermost thoughts of God and it's intertwined with your spirit. And that takes dominion over your soul and it speaks life into your entire being. That is the natural process, is the fact that your spirit has been made alive with the very being that searches the innermost thoughts of God. When you describe it like that, it sounds hard to miss his voice, right? I, I hope that's our problem someday. It's hard to miss his voice. So now I'm gonna get into the scripture. Um, we got Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And this is, a, this is a passage that Pastor Matt went over a couple weeks ago. And I'm actually really glad he did because it's, so, it's just so hard to comprehend. Um, so I'm glad you talked about it because now I don't have to do as much like convincing, like, hey, this is actually a thing, you know, because you already did all that. Um, I'm going to just get into it. It's, uh, yeah, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Mm. Just this one passage answers like every question I asked earlier. You were literally dead in your transgressions and sins in the way you used to live. You followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So not only were you dead, but the ruler of this world was doing an ongoing process within you that made you look less and less like the image of the one who created you. So you know the verse in Romans about renewing your mind? Satan does that. Satan does that. That's his job, is he hates God so much. His job is to take people who are made in the Lord's image and make them look as far from God as possible. So not only were you dead, but that death on the inside of you was the core root that allowed a sin seed to sprout that refined you into being more evil. But it is by grace you have been saved. There, there is nothing more extreme than going from death to life. And yet we like to think of our Christian walk as like we were dead and now we're like forgiven, 
right? But then we still give ourselves ex excuses to not grow up because we constantly reflect back on our sin nature and we just give that so much more power. And the only power that we give to God is he's going to forgive me for it and I'll get into heaven because of what he's done. But everything, I shouldn't say everything, so much of what this passage describes that is available to us is stuff that is meant for right now. There is so much that the Lord offers for us that it is of no value when we get to heaven. Do you really want to prophesy in heaven? You probably can't. There's, there's no reason. Why, why would I go to Matt in heaven and tell him what God says about him? He's me like, I know. He told me, literally told me. You're not going to have a healing ministry in heaven. You're not going to need words of knowledge in heaven. Right? You're not going to need to go through the sanctification process in heaven. Right? It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show. When it says in the coming ages, it doesn't mean later. When Paul was writing this, it means now and forevermore. So he's talking about a process that has been started and this revelation from the Lord will continue until we're all up there. So he says, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So there is a huge part of our inheritance that we can have access to, but yet a lot of Christians are living without the access to that inheritance and the revelation of that inheritance is because they aren't getting the kindness that is expressed in Christ Jesus. The kindness that is expressed in Christ Jesus makes available the incomparable riches of his grace, which comes through revelation. And that revelation only comes through faith that you are seated right there right now. And the fact that you're seated right there right now only comes through the gift of grace, which also took faith to believe in, right? So really all we need, like th this is just a revelation we gotta get into our head and we gotta understand that this, this scripture is so much more powerful than any, anything a preacher could ever come up with. Like, you know, I, I pray for a day and I wanna I want be a part of a church where we, we don't preach great sermons but just the words we say have so much power behind it because it's, it's just the Lord. It's the Lord's words. So I don't want to say anything profound. I just want to say what he says. It says, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in Christ Jesus. And this is available because we are seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Do you think that a sinner is seated up there right now? Do you think that an unrighteous person is seated up there right now? Do you think that somebody who at their core is dead and evil and sick and prideful and a liar and adulterous, do you think somebody with that giant gaping hole on the inside of them is seated up there right now? Right? The answer, the answer is obviously no. So why are we talking about ourselves that way? There's... A lot of us go about humility the completely wrong way. Disrespecting what the Lord has done for you and made available to you is not humility. Do, do you want to know what humility is? Humility is being sober-minded, 
which doesn't come from bashing yourself in the work that he's done, but you have to be sober-minded, as I talked about earlier, and then you have to give him continual credit for everything he's done. That is how you be humble. It's not by talking down on yourself and talking down on the person that he's created and is trying to refine, because you're making his job a lot harder when you're constantly calling yourselves things that you're not, right? So we're going we're gonna to get into it. Uh, worship team, if you could make your way up here. Um, there's some things that the Lord laid on my heart, like revelations that he laid on my heart five or six months ago, just about the way people behave because of lies that they've believed um, and how he wants to redeem it. Um, and, and I'm just going to go through some of them. And if, if any of these really strike a chord with you, uh, you can either come up as soon as it's said, and we're going to do an altar call type thing, or you can wait until I read through all of these, and then it's kind of going to be an open mic afterward for the pastoral staff um, to give more words. So we can all come up together at the end, or you can come up one by one if any of these strike a chord with you. Um, but one thing before we get into it is that I was talking to Pastor Matt on Monday. When you become a Christian, you are dead, now you're alive. God plants things inside you that are going to be completely foreign to you. You're going to be like, what is this? The reason is because you were dead, now you're alive. God is going to deposit things in you that are unfamiliar to the person you were yesterday. But also, there's, a, there's another thing. God knit you together in your mother's womb, Right? That means way back then, he also planted things inside you. So there's two separate times where he's planted things inside you if you're a Christian. One when you were saved, and then another time when you were born. But the thing is, the ones he planted inside you when you were born, you came into this world and the devil snatched you up and he took those talents and desires and, and things that the Lord deposited in you with such care and he twisted them to actually damage the kingdom of God and to advance the kingdom of the ruler of the air. So what we're going to do tonight is the Lord has given me revelation into what some of these things are that the devil has twisted. We're going to call them out and we're going to redeem them. And if, if I don't list anything that resonates with you, but the Lord has put it on your heart that you got something that needs to be redeemed, just come up here. We, we all know how it works here, right? The first one is this. If you are a people reader and a labeler, like if, if you're known by your family as being somebody who's like, they, they see somebody they barely know and they got a word for them. It's usually pretty destructive. Or if you look over at somebody that's trying to do something nice and you go like, their intentions aren't as pure as they seem. That person's really selfish. Or even if you look at somebody and you, the first thing you get is like a flaw about them, maybe about their looks, or maybe you're just assuming things about their personality. Or also, if you have one encounter with somebody and something rubs you the wrong way and you just judge them for that one encounter for a long time. If you are a people reader and a people labeler, that is a twisted form of prophecy. The Lord wants you to prophesy. What is prophecy? You look at somebody and, and the Lord downloads into your head what, what he is saying about that person. What, what is a people reader and a people labeler? They look at somebody 
and they get a download from the enemy and from their carnal flesh what that is saying about that person and then they end up speaking out curses instead of blessings so if you find yourself as somebody who constantly wants to put labels on people and they're often judgmental and negative the lord wants you to prophesy he wants to take that and redeem and he wants your words to be used to build people up and to break chains the next one this one might offend some people especially me and my family that's what we do hyper competitiveness if you lose a board game and it ruins your week and it damages relationships um, that's a little bit of a problem right it's not a bad thing to be competitive but if you get your value and your identity from how competitive you are and it determines like your relationships and how they play out in ways that it shouldn't the the enemy has taken some zeal that the Lord planted in you before you were even born the Lord wants to redeem your hyper competitive nature and use it to be zealous for his kingdom we know the Apostle Paul was zealous before he got saved and it's, it's safe to say he's probably competitive too so those are pretty synonymous so if you are hyper competitive the Lord wants to take that back from the enemy and just make you so zealous if you are over analytical and struggle with anxious thoughts you can lay your head down on the pillow and you're thinking of all these circumstances of how things might play out this might happen this might happen I don't know if you realize it but you're being very creative you're being very creative you have handed over your ability to receive visions and you've traded it for the ability to see the worst possible outcome in any situation you have taken your imagination you've handed it over to fear and anxiety and they've given you visions of things that might happen things that won't happen but it doesn't really matter because it's all bad and it all makes you feel worse and and your capacity for receiving revelation from the father is gone because you've given way to over analytical and anxious thoughts if that strikes a chord with you tonight you need to get that redeemed this one I love this one if you have a deep longing like deep in your spirit with selfish or hateful motives and, and what I picture is like, you're so angry that you're driving down the road and you're just squeezing the steering wheel and you're just grinding your teeth and you're like almost growling because there's just these emotions bubbling up that you can't contain. And, and this happens pretty consistently. And it's like, you're not even, you don't even have the words to say, but you're just, you're just shaking. And it doesn't even have to be anger. These unspoken emotions and grunts to curse others or to try to make your dreams come true or you to get your way, these attempts to attain our deepest desires by letting those urges bubble through us is a twisted form of praying in the spirit. It is. Romans says that when we don't know what we ought to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes through us through wordless groans. If you find yourself groaning wordlessly just out of anger, out of any emotion, and you, you know it's, there's no good outcome and it's not from the Lord, the Lord wants to redeem that and he wants you to groan from deep in your spirit. Prayer, isn't that amazing? He wants to redeem that. Next one, if you're really stubborn, you might not know it, but you're actually really patient. Because if you're stubborn, 
you're willing to go through stuff that you don't need to be going through. Even when you're wrong, you might not admit it and people are making things really hard on you, but you still won't admit that you're wrong. You're actually enduring a lot and you're being a twisted form of patient. So the Lord wants you to be meek. He wants you to be persistent and he wants you to be patient. So all you stubborn people in here, don't think that you have to completely get rid of all the training you've done to be stubborn. You just need to let the Lord redeem it and you'll end up being really patient, right? The next one, this one's kind of hard to comprehend, but insecure or super sensitive. People that are insecure are always thinking so deeply and thinking in such detail about their flaws, about this and that, and they're just, there's always something wrong and there's always something to care about in a negative way. You know what the Lord wants to do? He wants to give you the gift of mercy and compassion in a measure that other people don't really get to experience. Because you're sitting there and you're diving so deep and you're torturing yourself with, with thoughts of insecurities and things that don't really matter when that level of depth that you're reaching could be used to make you more compassionate. It could be used to make you more understanding so you can have grace and mercy on your neighbor. What if we go to that depth with mercy and compassion instead of with our insecure thoughts? This is the last one. If you're a glutton for comfort and entertainment, if you actually are just searching for peace and God wants to be intimate with you through the Holy Spirit. And this is obviously something that everybody needs, but if you find yourself just being a glutton, like you get home, you turn on that TV and you don't do anything else. If you reflect on it and ask the Lord what you really want, you really just want to be intimate with him. You do. Even if that doesn't resonate and you might disagree, that one's true. <laughs> I'm telling you, if any of these are true, that one's true. If you find yourself being gluttonous and trying to fulfill yourself with things that are just not him, especially regarding entertainment, you have a desire to be intimate with the Holy Spirit and he is willing to meet you here. So we're gonna sing and we're gonna kind of leave the microphone open if anybody else on the staff has a word. Um, but if any of these resonated with you and if you have anything else that I didn't mention that you need to give up to the Lord, this is a night where he wants to redeem people and stir faith. And he will meet us if we just cry out to him. All right?